Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number as always. The text or the WhatsApp. 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Fergal and Doc sitting across the phones this morning for you. Uh, coming up, would you want to homeschool your child? Are you thinking about homeschooling your child? How would you go about homeschooling your child if you felt you had to? homeschool your child is it a choice that you want like Rachel says it's not a route I ever thought I'd be going down but I know that I want options I don't want to be bulldozed into one scenario which is putting my child in school that's coming up uh, later on this morning also the doctor who's really really annoyed with us and is accusing us of getting lazy with regard to protecting ourselves on COVID-19. If we get any more on what Neffet have asked the government to do, we'll bring it to you throughout the course of the morning <clears throat> because we understand that the elderly are going to be told to semi-cocoon again, like avoid uh, public gatherings and, and stay in as much as you possibly can. We, we understand that they're going to cut family gatherings even down to six people in the indoors and nine or ten people on the outside. And, and, it, and the, the Neffet are effectively just trying to get the government to, to tighten us all up again. Uh, we'll, if we can add any more meat to the bones of that, and I'll tell you what's in the papers about it as well as we go through the morning. But first of all, you will have seen that story in the media across the weekend of the Chinese woman uh, who was pushed into the Royal Canal in Dublin by a bunch of young thugs who were racially abusing her, shouting things like coronavirus at her and all that kind of thing. And she turned and she asked them to stop and they turned back on her and pushed her into the Royal Canal. And whether anything will ever happen to those little thugs is is anybody's guess because they're underage and probably won't get so much as taken down a peg or two. But then it emerged that there'd been another assault on two men here in Cork about a week ago. One of them is Martin Hong, and I spoke to Martin last evening. Martin, how long have you been living in Cork? Um, Half year so far. And are you here for work? Yeah, I came here for work. Now tell me what happened to you uh, on the 8th of August. So, um, so basically, um, me and my friend, we went out for grocery shopping and we met a uh, young guy on the street calling Chinese virus to us. 
Um, so we stopped uh, asking them to repeat what they were saying. So um, all of this started from there. Uh, I stepped forward and they began to punch me. So um, I was knocked down. Um, after half ball, one or two minutes, um, they began to hit my friend. And we were uh, a very nice lady called the police. And the police sent us to the, the hospital. About how many young people attacked you? Uh, three of them. Three of them. Yeah. But only one of the guy um, physically attached to me. Whereabouts in the city did this happen? It was uh, in Pierce Street. Um, in Balifian. Pierce Square in Balifian. Now, what injuries have you suffered? So I got bruise on my eyes. My nose was bleeding that day. Um, my teeth are slipped. slipped. Uh, my neck has been um, hit very seriously, so I can't turn around in the following week. And are your teeth badly damaged? Yeah, I would say so. I went to the dental clinic twice. They say that there is a tiny, tiny bit of um, nerves has been exposed. So in the following one or two weeks, I need to be cautious not to get it affected. Because in that case, I will need to get the whole um, root of the tools replaced. It, it must be very painful, Martin. In the following week, I didn't eat a lot. I didn't eat anything, to be honest. Because I can't chew. It's, um, it's more like a lifelong, like, lasting issue. Because um, they told me, like, the product, they used resin to fix it. But then... Uh, it probably will only last one or two years, so I need to go back to uh, a dental clinic to, to, to get it redo, like every one or two years. So this has left you with a permanent injury? I, I would think it's, uh, it's a bit more permanent than wow. and other bruises on my face. Like those are fitting away, but the truth, when it's gone, it's gone. How was your, fr- your friend, Arthur? He was... He was hit heavily on the eye. Like in the fall, in the past week, he he can't open the eyes very um properly. Like he has um tears in the eye all the time. Like even now, like after after a whole week, I can still see um red or purple marks on his eyes. And of course, the physical scars will heal. Hopefully your yeah. tooth will be okay, but this has left you... You're afraid to go out now, I think, are you? In the past week, I'm I'm really afraid of going out, but um, I live on my own, so me and my friends, we live together, we, but we have to go out for grocery. So um, we went out already in this week, we started to go out again, but uh, every time when we saw, like, um, young guys on the street we try to avoid them yeah but just to to be clarify um the irish people are generally very very nice it's just i don't know but um like it's like all the the the, the verbal um racism comments that i've received are all from relatively young people so that's um i don't know why but i feel like it, i have very um positive experience with Irish people here. I have a lot of good friends, but it's just all the, the comments are from relatively young people. So I think it's, um, it's definitely because of the influence on the internet 
about the virus things like recently about the pandemic. And you are, other than this terrible incident happening, you are happy here, I think. I, overall, I'm really happy here. Like, they also, before I moved here to Cork from Dublin, they told me, like, people in Cork, they are very nice. They are one of the most friendly people in Ireland. Overall, I mean, like, all the people here are very nice, but they told me, like, Cork specifically, like, the people here, they are very nice to um, to foreigners, which is true for um based on my experience here overall, but it's just those tiny incidents, those tiny moments, I just feel like sometimes feel so bad because in contrast with the people, for example, the the, the two ladies, the two victims, yeah. um, they are so nice. They called the police and they helped us. They, they also told me like we can contact them if, if we need them um, in a court or something. Yeah. So it's just by contrast, I feel very bad. There are also people, they are probably less educated about the, the diversity, the, the increasing international community in, in Ireland. Your dealings with, with the guards, with the police since this happened, I mean, this was a very, very serious assault, leaving you with a, a lifelong, possibly a lifelong injury. How is the investigation going, do you know? Um, the guard has been very helpful. Um, I've been, um, me and my friend, we went to the the Gaza station to do a statement. Um, like I went to the state, uh, I went to the station in the first day, and the Gaza told me like I was still probably suffering from a concussion, so it's not the right time to do the statement. So they asked me to go back again um, after a few days. So it was very professional. I think they also they, they took the the statement and they told me like what what is going on, what will happen the following days. They send us um, letters, like telling us what um, what what um, telephone number we can call in the future if we have um, such experience, such uh, situation. Um, just overall, I think they've been very helpful. But they also told me it will the whole investigation will probably last um, a few months. So it's just a bit time consuming. But overall, they are very positive and they are they have been very helpful. Yeah, well, here's hoping they can catch the, the young thug who did this to you because leaving with an injury like that, that, that can't be left to go unpunished. Martin, despite all this happening, I think you still want to stay here, do you? I, I, I definitely do want to stay here. Both me and my friends, we have very good experience um, of living here. So um, we just want to get over it as long as possible. We try to convince ourselves but I think it just, it takes time. Okay. Well, you're a very gracious man. I, I hope you make a full recovery. Thanks, thanks very much. It, it has been very helpful today uh, after the, the media has been like reporting our story. And there are so many good friends um, sending messages to me. Um, it's just all very, very positive to see like uh, the, the, there are people caring about this situation in Ireland and there are people who have been so nice and sending messages and they are just generally want to help us. Um, it's just very nice experience. Martin, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. Lovely guy. That's Martin Hong talking to me uh, last evening for this morning's opinion. In another interview he gave yesterday, he mentioned that the attackers uh, chanted Black Lives Matter slogans 
at him. I'm wondering what that's got to do with anything. But anyhow, he did mention it, uh, so it's worth noting. 1857-15996. There was a bit of traffic chaos around Dunkettle Roundabout as well. I'm getting tweets about it this morning. I- I'll get to that in a while. But coming up next, the doctor who says we need to cop ourselves on and we've let it slip and we just need to pull together and please don't be calling people heroes we can all do our bit and we should all do our bit and some doctors are getting very tired of us not doing our bit we've spoken to her before it's next this is Cork's Gold Imro award-winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 0833969696 On Cork's 96FM Back in June, Dr. Neve Lynch who's a paediatrician in the Bonds was on with me talking about masks in fact it was Neve, I think who gave us that wonderful little slogan to remember about wearing face masks my mask protects you, your mask protects me Was that with you Neve? wasn't it? Good morning Hi PJ, how are you? How are things? Good, good um, You took to Twitter in the last 24 hours uh, you're getting a bit annoyed with certain narratives in this pandemic? Uh, I think that would be fair to say, yeah. Um, I think there's a tendency to point the finger always and not take personal responsibility as a society. Um, So I suppose an analogy would be, you know, if you eat a lot of cake and you put on a couple of pounds, are you going to blame the cake or are you going to take responsibility for it yourself? Uh, I think we need to really pull together as a society now with COVID-19. And I think describing hospital workers and carers as heroes is no longer really helpful. Mm. Society, all, all of society needs to play its part together. I think the frontline hero um, concept was, was in the very early days of the pandemic when we, we just didn't know how dangerous it was for all the doctors and nurses, but we knew it was very, very dangerous and everybody else in the front line. Has that worn a bit thin now, the frontline hero? Well, I don't think any of us feel like heroes anymore, or I don't, th- I think many of us never really felt like heroes. Um, you know, we were going into work and doing our job, you know, if anyone has ever been to school with anyone who's gone on to be a medical student, they'll know we're fairly geeky people. <laughs> we're not really cut out uh, to be heroes. And, and we didn't train to be in that role. We trained to look after people and to do our job. And to do our job, we need, obviously, the correct infrastructure and support at work. But we, with COVID, now that we know more about it, uh, we need society to play its part as well. Um, you know, I had, I was thinking about this last night and I was thinking, you know, we're going to have to live with COVID-19 for a long time, whether we like it or not. And even if we try to go for a zero COVID approach as they have in New Zealand, there can still be bumps along the road. Yeah. So to me, like the rules of COVID are pretty simple. The rules of living with COVID are simple. So number one is limit your social circle. And people have started meeting up with friends that they haven't seen for a while and so on. And you think, oh, they're my friend. They'll never give me COVID. That's not how the virus works. Mm. So we should limit our social contacts. Um, if we are meeting people, we should keep our social distance. Um, you know, we should always adhere to our hand hygiene and cough etiquette. Um, and we should wear masks when we're asked. And then the other thing that's really, really important is the isolation thing. So personally, I've heard of a lot of people returning from abroad and not 
self-isolating and I've also heard of people who have symptoms of, you know, sore throat or loss of smell or whatever and they go, oh, well, sure, I'll never get COVID, it's not me and they just go about their business and... Or I'll be grand in a couple of days. Yeah, I'll be grand, but, you know, what about you know, the vulnerable person who, who gets it from you. Um, so, you know, masks are just one part of that. And I suppose an analogy would be, you know, cars are dangerous. You know, we all know that every time you get in a car, you take a risk. So there are the rules of the road to protect us for that. So there's no point in driving along at the speed limit and then cruising through a red light. You know, and those rules are enforced and there's very strong messaging at all times. And I think we need to message more strongly now about the rules of COVID and everybody needs to reflect on themselves and say, you know, we're doing this for society, not for me. On the programme last week, Nave, we talked a lot about finger pointing and, and as the numbers go through this very uncomfortable uptick that they are at the moment and it should be said, here in Cork, we, we've done okay so far. We, we haven't really suffered in, in this uptick so far. But there's an amount of finger pointing and, and curtain twitching going on and that's not helpful. But but you also make the point in your Twitter thread, we have, as a society, and you've used the word, slipped. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, you know, yes, there there is a lot of finger pointing and maybe that's finger pointing a little bit too to say that, you know, certain sectors of society have slipped. Um, but, you know, if, if everybody just looked at the rules of COVID and and stuck to them, then, you know, we would get through this. You know, we're just going to have to live alongside this awful thing for a while, um, you know, and we just have to accept it. And yes, there has been slippage, um, but, you know, I, I don't think anyone could truly look at themselves and say, I haven't broken the rules at some point, you know. Um, but if most of the people obey the rules most of the time, then I think we would be okay. But if, you know, most of the people ignore what's needed of them then we're, we're going to end up with increased hospitalizations and increased pressure on the health system which is already under a lot of pressure with a huge backlog because of the non-covid stuff and again finger pointing is probably not a good habit but but over the weekend we, we saw this video from the berlin bar in dublin and and i just wondered how the doctors and the nurses that i've been speaking to many of them over the last six months how they felt looking at that video? Uh, I, I thought it was very unusual, I have to say. Um, like, you know, I'm sure that the people in that video, unfortunately, have now been vilified and uh, there's probably been a bit of a pile on. Um, you know, these are times where camera phones are at the ready and evidence can be gathered. Um, but again, if each of those people had acted responsibly, um, this this wouldn't have happened. Um, I don't I don't really want to comment on that directly because social media and media isn't the correct forum. I, I think this should be reviewed by, you know, an appropriate legal channel. Okay, okay, that, 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 that's fair enough. But I think to, to, to wrap up, uh, you want us to think long and hard, each and every one of us, about our res- personal responsibility here. Yeah, and, and I, I do think, though, that there has to be um, a lot more communication um, in terms of the sort of public health aspect of it. You know, we need uh, we need to hear more of, of that messaging that was so clear uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, which seems to have sort of faded a little bit. You know, we're all tired of COVID, but COVID isn't tired of us. COVID just wants to keep going. It's, yeah. it's not a sentient being. It just wants to pass from one host to the other and replicate. Yeah. 
So, Dr. Know. Glenn, the, the, the acting CMO, said the other night, COVID hasn't gone away just because we're tired of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's still there. Um, so, you know, and what we need to do now is sort of keep it at a sustainable level in, in, in society. You know, at, at the moment, the hospitalizations are low and the people who are getting infected, thankfully, are not getting terribly sick with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if each of those individuals comes into contact with, you know, a few more individuals who have underlying health conditions, yeah. then you'll see the hospitalizations start to rise again. And, you know, there's already flu in the community. I've heard of a few cases of flu already. Yeah. Um, so when you get the two of those together, I mean, that's going to be a really toxic uh, yeah. cocktail. As regards hospitalizations, uh, finally and briefly, I know the numbers we had over the weekend, the 200 on Saturday, which jolted us all in our seats, and, and the other 100 between Sunday and Monday, that's 300 and odd cases in, in the space of a couple of days. The, the numbers in hospital presently are very, very low. But isn't it the case that there's a kind of a two-week or maybe mm. two-week-plus time lag between diagnosis and possible hospitalisation? Yeah, that's exactly it. So the next two weeks will, will tell a lot um, because those people who've been recently diagnosed may have had COVID for a while not known it and spread it to their older loved ones. I mean, look, I suppose bottom line, uh, you know, when I sent out that tweet last night, it was really out of kind of frustration and concern. But there was one reply um, by an older man um, who, you know, sort of, it was just really touching. He said, I'm 76. I live alone and have COPD. I know how long every day is. I'm waiting for some hopeful news. I'm gradually feeling that the final outcome will not be good. How long can I day by day avoid contact? And that's heartbreaking. It is, and it's become a very lonely time. Yeah, for, for very people, lonely for time for people like who have to cocoon older people. Um, you know, I look after a lot of children who have um, special needs and, you know, significant medical needs, and their parents are so stressed yeah. and basically terrified facing into the winter. And we have to think about those people. Oh, and we ourselves. can all help them, can't we? Yeah, we can. If we do those five things that I spoke to you about, we can do so much as a society. We did so much as a society. And I hate to think that all of that would go for nothing. All of what we went through in March, April, May. If all of that is for nothing, then that's heartbreaking. Okay, leave it there for today. Good as always to talk to you, Dr. Neve Lynch, the paediatrician in the Bonds. Remind you again, thanks Neve, what it is that they want us to do. Limit our social contact. Essential people you have to see at work. You know, people that you see every day, your very closest family. Do your distancing. Keep your distance when you're out and about as best as is humanly possible. Wash your hands. Wash your bloody hands. If it's 20 times a day, wash your hands. Cough properly. If you're going to cough, into your elbow. Into your elbow or into a tissue and dump the tissue. If you're going into a supermarket or going into a public place or getting on a bus or just wear a blasted mask, it won't hurt you. Wear the mask. I hate them. I've said this. I still hate them. I haven't fallen in love with the damn things overnight. I hate them. But I'll wear them because it's my job to help. And if you have symptoms, just lock yourself away, will you? Just isolate. Do what you're told. If we do what we're told, what we've been asked to do, then, you know, we'll be all right. Right, traffic problems. Uh, There's a real backlog from the Douglas direction heading towards the tunnel. It's bumper to bumper for the last half an hour or so. There's a van broken down in the centre lane of the Michael Collins Bridge coming into the city from Penrose Wharf. That's causing trouble. And last night, and I think it's still happening again this morning, thanks to Kieran from the tweet, uh, can we see what's happening with the 
Dunkettle. Why did the guard the traffic unit, why did the Dunkettle people, why did the city council not use the dot matrix signs on the South Link Road M8 to advise of the 45 minute delays last night? Why were the signs not used to advise of delays? 1850-715-996. On Martin and his friend Arthur, a very kind listener, has called the opinion line to offer to help them do their shopping for a little bit while if they feel too anxious to go out. That's extremely kind of you. And Martin, a different Martin, is wondering via WhatsApp, is there a dentist out there who could sort young Martin out? This lovely young man is a credit to his parents, unlike those thugs whose parents must be very proud of them. Yeah, is there a dentist? I know he's been to the clinic a couple of times and he'll get the best of attention there. But is there a dentist out there who'd offer at least to take a look at Martin for us? And maybe maybe we could help him out. Is, is there a dentist who specialises in this kind of traumatic damage? And I know at the moment it's very hard for, for dentists to treat anybody under the COVID circumstances. But is there a dentist who'd be willing to look at Martin's tooth for us and see is there anything that might be done? 1850, it's a lifelong injury if this doesn't get properly healed. 1850 This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 Anne is wondering on WhatsApp what we define as quarantine in this country. I'll, I'll get to your message in a while, Anne, but you make an extremely good point. If you go to the Boys and Girls of Naka Facebook page, there was a post there in the last while from a man called John Morgan. Now, I don't propose to read the entire poem, but I'm going to read one or two snatches from it, and then I'll, I'll talk to John about it. It says... When I look at your eyes, your eyes seem bright, but your beaming smile is gone, I fear. Maybe not. It could be there. But under your mask, it's now become so unclear. Look at me, for I want to hug you tight. But with people passing by, I ponder, is this even right? How can this now be, as we always embraced each other so naturally? When I look at you, you appear uncomfortable. If we seem to talk for long... Oh, how this feels so wrong. Is it because people may stop and stare? Maybe I'm just paranoid. Maybe they really don't care. Look at me, please. Don't be in a rush to go. We always had so much time. Now I forget we must stand in line. I can't get used to this, though it's happening all the time. Look at me. I want to kiss you goodbye like I always used to do. I don't tell you, but this breaks my heart in two. Look at me, what do you really see? At times I feel so lonely. The mask hides more than my face. I'm here, but in a different place. John, good morning. Good morning, PJ. That's just a few lines from your poem. People can find the full poem on the boys and girls of Naka. But I think you've struck a chord with people. I just said it there before the last commercial break. I hate masks, and I make no apology for saying absolutely despise them for many many reasons but we have to yeah. wear them now and we should we should bear in mind they're hard to wear yeah there's a multitude of reasons why people are uncomfortable i think wearing the masks and i think the older people we forget really how it touches them and what they feel and 
you see, I have a couple of friends who'd be in their 70s and 80s, and I'd listen to them, and they'd just speak to me and how they feel and everything. And I remember one lad particularly said to me, he says, John, when I'm out and about, especially in the shopping centre now, he says, do you know what I miss most of all? I says, what is it? He goes, I miss when people smile, even if it's only strangers. And I found that poignant, and it touched me, PJ, and, like, not just him, no, but other grandparents and people of all similar ages and we'd say even younger just little stories they told to me like I remember another fellow said to me he said he'd go out and about and he loves going to town or into shopping centres to meet do you know people that he knows and older folks and he'd bump into them but he said John for some reason they don't seem to be there and why is that he said are they afraid to come out or what is it and you can feel the hot, if you know what I mean, yes, in I their can. speech. Yes, I can. You mentioned the smile thing, and, and I was in my local supermarket over the weekend, um, a place where I'd know the staff and they'd know me. And, you know, when, when it's your turn to step off the yellow sticker and, and come to the counter, you know, it's, it's a natural instinct to smile at the assistant. And I found myself smiling and then thinking, what bloody use is this smile? I've got a mask on me. Do you know? And it's, I, I do. It, it can be impersonal. It's funny you say that now, PJ, because I have a sister that walks in a shop and she only said to me yesterday, she said, John, I walk behind the counter. And she said, when parents come in and when they're with their little children, she said, I'd smile at them like I used to always do. But then she said, I'm smiling, but... They're, they're not looking at me, and it took me a few seconds to realise that, sure, they can't see me at all. Yeah. And it's become very impersonal then for everybody. And like We I know it's say, the right thing to do, but it's <clears throat> hard. It's very difficult, because, like I, like I tried to portray in the poem, it's not natural, and we always kind of do what's natural to us, because it's human nature. And I even noticed there was outside Blackpool Shopping Centre for about 10 minutes last Friday, and I noticed people coming in and out, and they were all wearing masks. But what kind of struck me was there was no one speaking, and people seemed to have their head down. It was almost like a little form of entrapment with the mask on that, look, I'll do my business, I'll get in, I'll get out. And that's the purpose. The, I don't know, the atmosphere seems to be downbeat, if that makes sense. Yes, I do. It makes absolute sense. Some people are wondering, how long is this going to have to be the way? And, and, and the dread of it is it may have to be for quite a long time. Yes, and yeah. that's the fear of it. And you're thinking, you know, is it going to be for a few months? Could it be six months? Like, people don't know, no one knows. And that's why in the poem, I didn't want to get into the debate about is it beneficial, is it not beneficial... It was just more about the human touch, and yeah. it's it's tough for everyone, as you say, and all ages, especially older people as well. So, I think. Something else as well, and and it only occurs to you when you're told about it is, well, someone who's who's hard of hearing can't lip read. Yes, that's a great point because my wife and she wouldn't mind me saying it. No, she wears hearing aids and. When she's speaking, we'll say to me now or to you of a normal day now, we'll say without a mask, she does an element of lip reading that we, we wouldn't know or realise. 
but she is finding it extremely difficult now when she's in the shops because, you know, I suppose my hearing is 100% and I find people a little bit muffled, but I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. But she, PJ, she finds it very difficult. And she's saying this to me and, like, I, I feel for her, but I don't know what to do. And, you know, what do you say? And, like, people, I suppose, in the shops might get a little bit frustrated because they might think you're not listening then. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, like, what I find is we don't all fall under the one category. Yes. Yes. And, and you know what? I think what I get from your, your poem is, and you specifically didn't get into the argument of it, and you were right. I didn't. You know, no one's getting into the argument whether it's right or wrong. We're being told it's the right thing to do. We're being told it's for the benefit, not necessarily of yourselves. It's for others. We're, we're supposed to listen to the doctors and scientists, and that's what they're telling us to do. It doesn't make it any easier, and we should acknowledge as as people, as as members of this collective, we should acknowledge it's not easy. Yes, and we should show empathy to others, and that's exactly what I tried to portray here. That listen, there's people older; they might have hearing issues themselves because they're in their seventies or eighties. They might have other issues we don't know. Let's not judge. You know, let's try and just put the empathy out there, and. You know, take a step back, take a couple of breaths and try not to react in a situation that you're uncomfortable in and think. That's that's the basis of the whole poem. Try and think before you act because, as I said, we're all in a different category and a lot of people just don't realise it. It's just it's just the way people are. They They react too easily, if that makes sense. Yeah, I turned up at a shop the other day, actually. Ironically, it was a pharmacy to collect a prescription. And I put my hand into the dashboard of the car to get a mask, and I didn't have one with me. And I went in, and I pushed my... For, for all the use it was, I pulled my T-shirt up over my nose, and I said to the assistant, I'm so sorry, I forgot to bring a mask. And she said, it's all right, it's fine, it's grand. You're only here for a short while, and thanks for noticing. But I, I felt kind of conscious about about forgetting you know, um, but I can understand how some people find it really, really, really tough. Yeah, there's a form of embarrassment then as well, you see, when you don't have the mask. And again, maybe a form of paranoia because you're thinking, are people looking at me? No, because I, I don't have a mask on. Do they think I'm not doing the right thing? Yeah. Are you okay, John, with ideas like we mentioned here in Tesco's last week? Tesco's are giving out a little yellow badge that people can wear if they're un- unable to, ha- to, to wear a mask. There's a thing called a jam card, which uh, people who accept a jam card now in society shops and businesses will say, right, okay, some people who carry a jam card can't wear a mask. You're okay with that kind of thing, aren't you? Well, I actually am okay with it because I don't think you're stigmatising people when you do that, but you're just making other people aware because what we don't want is I know this is exaggerated, but you don't want people finger-pointing at the likes of PJ and John Morgan. Oh, they're not wearing masks. And, like, you know, do the right thing. And at least then you're letting people know that, again, we're not all into one category. And have respect for everybody. Because we're all trying to get through this and be the best we can be. Yeah, you know, and we're trying to treat it as a collective. John, thanks very much. As I say, they can find your full poem on the Boys and Girls of Knocka Facebook page. John, John. Morgan and and you write a, a little bit of poetry and and uh, but you had, had a huge I, response to say, this one. Yes, PJ, a quick thank you again to James Toomey and the boys in Knocknaheeny Page for always being positive and giving me great feedback. Massive on my team, poems. great team. James is a great thank guy. You.
Great guy. And they're at ten, they've gone to 10,000 members now and it's Over 10,000 now. Yes. So it's a great achievement for Fantastic. all and very supportive. Fantastic, John. Thanks a lot. That's John Morgan. Yeah, it was worth mentioning that. The Boys and Girls of Knocka Facebook page. It was nice to see over the weekend. I think we talked to them in the very early days of it here about the novelty of it. And now they've gone to 10,000 and it's a really positive, uplifting place. Yeah, they discuss things that are important and that matter to people, but it's done in a positive and uplifting way. Uh, thanks, John. 10,000 members of the Boys and Girls Knocker Facebook page. The Tesco thing is called a sunflower lanyard. With a couple of inquiries about that, you just go into your local Tesco, go up to the customer service counter and ask them for one. You don't have to even tell them why. Just ask them for one. Tell them you can't wear a mask or someone in your family can't wear a mask and they will give it to you and no questions will be asked. On the hard of hearing thing, uh, Fergal tells me, you know, in, in Asia they use things like voice-to-text apps and stuff like that to, to communicate uh, through masks. We're a little bit sort of new to the mask wearing in this country for that to work here. But yeah, it's, it happens in other parts of the world. The other thing about Asian countries, I think, uh, this point was made in a discussion I was listening to on radio over the weekend. The Asians have been wearing masks. It's a bit like New Zealanders and a rugby ball. You know, a New Zealand, a child in New Zealand gets their first rugby ball when they're barely old enough to hold it. You know, a child in an Asian country learns to wear a face mask practically before they're out of kindergarten. It's natural with them. We've never, we've never uh, had that here. Mind you, Wuhan, to be fair, and you're, I, I was in the same discussion. Wuhan's a very westernised city where all this started. And, and wearing masks wasn't all that habitual there. But sure, you can talk about it all day. 1857-15996. Martin Hong was back on the phone. He says, I've received so many kind messages. If The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. We, that's that's strange. We we had a message from Louise uh, on WhatsApp about the death of uh, poor old Gary Deneen that we spoke to on the show a month ago, and then he died last week. Well, it's just come in a statement from the guards. They've said that Gardaí investigating the death of Gary Deneen, whose body was discovered on August twelfth in Cork City, are now satisfied that no foul play took place. You'll remember uh, from our coverage of the story with uh, Fiona Corcoran from the newsroom that they were treating it as suspicious pending the outcome of a post-mortem. The post-mortem was held and they were still treating it as suspicious but that update from the Gardaí this morning is that they now are no longer um, they are no longer treating it as suspicious. They're now satisfied there was no foul play. Just Apropos of that, Louise texts us out, out of the blue, or a WhatsApp message out of the blue. Hi PJ, I felt sick in my stomach listening to Gary Deneen on the show on Friday. Almost all of his, amid all of his heartache, he still had hope. From what I gather, his three-year-old is with his selfless sister. Both of his sons must be drowning in a sea of grief, losing both parents so close together. I have a three-year-old, I lost my dad as an adult, so I can't even imagine the pain and confusion his kids are feeling. I feel helpless, but I wonder is there anything at all that we as listeners could do as a mark of respect to his family? Could the show arrange for listeners to send cards of support 
perhaps send them to his sister. There were so many comments of support from the listeners on Friday. I'm sure there are many who feel as I do, but I'm unsure how to help while wanting to respect the family's privacy during this traumatic time. Thanks for reading. And that's from Louise. Thanks, Louise. That's a lovely message. And it is a lovely idea. Whether it's practical to do it, one doesn't know, but certainly a lovely idea. 1850 is the number. The text or the WhatsApp 083 The email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter is at opinionline96. And our, our Twitter hashtag the, is hashtag OL96. And of course, if you want to contact us through Facebook, it's the Corks 96 FM Facebook page. And uh, mark your messages for the attention of the opinion line. I want to talk about homeschooling because with two weeks or less than two weeks now before the schools open, and in all realism, not a clue do we have about how it's actually going to work. And someone was asking on Twitter last night do we actually have a Minister for Education at the moment? Would the real Norma Foley please stand up if she even exists? Because all we're getting are statements, statements dumped out on a Friday evening and little or no follow-up ministerially as to what the hell is going on. But a lot of people now are thinking of homeschooling. Rachel, you took to Facebook yesterday or the day before. Uh, you want or are thinking at least about homeschooling. Lolly, good morning. Morning, love. I am because I'm kind of... There's no options. That's my problem here, PJ. There's no options. It's just put your your child in school and that's it. But, like, I just feel I'm going to depend on every single person in her school to act accordingly. Yeah. As in, you know, and their families who they're mixing with. It seems like an awfully big risk. Or yeah. is it just me? I don't think so. I don't think it is just you. I think a lot of young families of young children are are very concerned about many elements of this. And I think the problem is we actually don't have a clue what's going to happen. We have no clue. And what, I don't understand why homeschooling hasn't been discussed. What about those people who have, um, who have family members whose health is compromised and who, if they get COVID-19, could potentially die from it? Like, what about those families? Don't they deserve to have an option? And I, I think, you know, I don't think that it's, that the government has not meant to discuss it. I think that there's so much on the agenda that, that they're overwhelmed. But I think that it is something... I don't think I'm willing to play Russian roulette with my daughter's life um, because I'm a single-parent family. So it's, and also, if I go down, the ship goes down. So, you know, Lolly could be fine. She could come home and she could get over it. I may not get over it as an asthmatic. So I have... It's, there's so much worry. I mean, somebody put it fantastically on the Facebook page yesterday. She said, my head is melted. And I think our heads are melted. What do we do? You know, I used to think homeschooling was happy, clappy stuff. But I might be going down that route and it might be the right route. Mm. You know, I don't know what to expect. Now, you you taught acting and and, and film to, to lots of young people, but could you sit down and teach your daughter reading, writing and maths? Well, maths, yes, because I love it. And we've been doing that all summer. And I suppose, I suppose you know that's a plus side we've all had an introduction to homeschooling and I think that if you want to do something you do it and if you don't you come up with excuses so do I I don't think that I will do it myself personally the whole time I mean the dream would be that she has three of her pals and they you know they go between houses and you know we have our bubble 
and we have a teacher who comes in two, three days a week to check the work and then we as parents do the rest of it and that's to keep the cost down because there's another issue um, is that if you do decide to homeschool and if you do decide to get a tutor in, you're paying for it, you're paying for the books, you're paying for everything. There is absolutely no um, incentive from the government to do this. But it is your legal right to do it. Yeah, I'm going to check that legality with with someone in a minute with, with yeah. Cora McCauley from the Home Education Network. It's your Network. constitutional right to do this. Because I'm not, and I'm not so sure you can just pluck your child out of out of school and start teaching them at home. I'm not so sure you can do that. I think uh, now I I think I was looking at somebody. Um, I forget her name now. Her name is Rachel something. But she home. She actually. She unschooled her children. Um, but I know, in, I think in Northern Ireland, she's from Northern Ireland, that you can do it. They, they, they offer help as in they email you to see if you need any help, if you need help grading any of the, the exams, etc. Um, but no financial help, but they don't uh, check up, which is, which is a worry. That is a worry because, you know, you don't want a case of where the child is doing nothing and falls so far behind. Yeah, like you're, yeah, yeah, you're, you'd be a devoted parent. You, you, would be, you would understand the importance of education and, and you would do your level best for your daughter, as I'm sure would many, many, many more. But there will be those who just take the kids out of school, throw a few toys at them, and, and that's the end of it. Yeah, and then it's also, and then it's the manpower to enforce it, or, or the people power, we should say, to enforce it. Um, but then also, from the educational point of view, I wouldn't be tremendously happy with um, the educational way of life in Ireland. You know, I think that, that it, it needs to be broader. It, it, I, think, I think trying to get to the end of the page in your math book is not the be-all and end-all. I think, you know, there are other things. There are mm-hmm. skills that children need to learn. But, but it's, the way it's, it's the way but it's done. But it's the way it's done, but information is the power behind change and we can't go back to the way that things were before COVID. Mm. Things are different now and we have to move in a different rhythm. So I think that if there was ever a time to now look at this, I think it's the perfect opportunity for the Minister of Education. I think it's the perfect opportunity for him now to broaden the scope Mm. and to give parents choice. So it's, it, you'd be forgiven for wondering who the Minister for Education is. It's a woman at the moment, Norma Foley. Um, but yeah. and, uh, first time, I, I was making the point yesterday, and I, I know that Fina Fowlers will be very annoyed at me for saying this. I'm wondering if Michal Martin made the right call appointing a first time TD to such a challenging cabinet post in, in the midst of the, these uncertain times. But look, he's done it, and, and the best of luck to her. And the, point, and the point there is that she has a background in it. And I am all for people who were given me ministerial jobs when they have an actual background in the, uh, in the environment there that they're... That point. That she's they're a, she is a, r- yeah. a, r- a rural teacher. All right, Rachel, we're going to find out what the legalities are. Uh, I think you're very much disposed towards trying it at least, aren't you? I don't think that I have a choice given that we're dealing with a novel virus and we don't know how it's going to affect us. And also, I don't want to put her back into school only to refer back out again. I think at her age, she's only eight and a half... I think that would be more detrimental to her and more stressful. Does she understand the confusion? Have you had a talk with her? I'm very open with Lolly. And I think, you know, I think maybe it's because of our situation, our family dynamic, but I'm extremely open with her. I discuss things with her like she's my buddy. I know I'm her mum, but I involve her in this. You know, it's a partnership. So we're, we're in this together. We discuss things and I listen to her. Uh, and what I does she want, Rachel? You know, 
she wants to try the homeschooling, but, but for her, the most important thing and the most important thing for all of these young kids is that they want to be with their buddies. Yeah. So, you know, I think the idea of homeschooling with a few buddies is brilliant. I think homeschooling on her own will be a little tough at the beginning, but that's where the parent comes in. I have to decide, is it, is it more stressful for her to go back into school? And then if she, if she comes down with something, she's put into a room on her own and told to wait. And is that going to be so upsetting for her and for me? Um, or do I just make a plan now as a parent and I stick to it and I know it's more difficult, it's more time consuming, but she's my daughter and I want to do everything I possibly can to protect her. All right, we'll talk again and we'll have a listen to uh, Cora McCauley next about the legalities. That's Rachel Sarah Murphy. Thanks, Rachel. Cora McCauley is from Home Education Network. And let's find out the answers to some basic questions next. 1857 Would you homeschool your children uh, this autumn if you had a choice? You'll have to make that choice in the next week and a half to two weeks. But would you, if you could, could you, if you had to, homeschool your children? Is it legal? Can you just take your child out of class and start teaching them at home? I, I, that's the confusing bit. Let's try and sort out some of the confusion next. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So Cora McCauley is with Home Education Network. And morning, Cora. You've been listening, I think, to, to what Rachel had to say there about yes, the choices morning. that she's having to make. Let's deal with the legality of it first and foremost. Can you just decide not to send your child to a school anymore and begin teaching them at home? It seems to be the best kept secret, but yes, you can. In the Constitution, it's our legal right. Parents are the primary educators. So it's perfectly acceptable to take your children out of school and home educate them yourself. Um, it's actually a simple process. You get in touch with TUSLA, the Department of TUSLA, and you notify them. They send out a form, an application form, and you just start the process there. It takes a couple of months, but um, it gives you time as well just to see what you want to do as a parent. Uh, I would advise that you go to your principal and just discuss it with them and say your reasons, like Rachel was saying, that you have your concerns, you want to take your child out, and it doesn't need to be permanent. You can take it year by year. You know, some people think, oh, I'm in school or I'm out of school. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you can work along with your school during this. Is there not a risk of losing a school place if you take a child out? Well, I suppose that's, in some schools it's not an issue, but in some schools it is. So, yes, I would talk to the principal if that's your, if that, if that's your concern and just say it's for health reasons that you're taking your child out until midterm, say, or something like that, or until Christmas. Because these aren't normal times. Mm. And in so the waiting time, you said there's a waiting time from, from deciding that you want to do it. What happens in the waiting time? Well, you see, that's the thing as well. In the waiting time, and there is a big surge in increase, you know, in increase in numbers over the last number of years anyway of families choosing to homeschool. So um, it does take some months just to process all the applications. So while that is happening, your child is still on the school register. So you haven't taken your child out. So you could actually, you know, you'd have these months anyway to decide if you want to continue homeschooling or not. I see. So, like, Rachel, for example, could decide not to send her daughter back on the 1st of September and start the process, or does she have Absolutely. to Does she have to keep sending her to school until she gets the, the, the go-ahead? No, 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 no. You can take your child out of school immediately. Right. And you can start the process, but yet nothing has actually happened. 
And when you mentioned when you mentioned Tusla, people are often a bit concerned by by the mention of Tusla. Mm. What what how what's their involvement? Right, this is a small department within Tusla, and it's to do with home education or external students. So it's not a problem. Um, They're actually very nice. They're very helpful. And they have a lot of experience themselves of what homeschooling is is like. So they can give advice as well. So I would just say, you know, give them a phone call and just start the process if that's what you want to do and try it out. Mm -hmm. But can I just say as well, homeschooling here this year is not really what the traditional homeschooling is. I think parents deserve a medal for what they've been doing for the last number of months, you know. Just one last thing before we move on to that, though. It's the, the other thing, like teachers... In, in a school are qualified. They've been to college, they've learned to teach, they've got their degrees, they're trained. Right. Most parents are not. Like, I couldn't possibly teach a primary school child, Cora. Yes. I don't think. You know what? You, you actually, nobody can teach a child anything. They have to learn it themselves. And it's a kind of, you have to turn your thinking about how children learn or how they are educated a teacher, even a teacher, you know, cannot no, teach a child. You, can't get, you can't get a job in a school oh, yes. without being a qualified teacher. True, true. But children learn when they want to learn. And I think if you go back and look at the school books, I've been homeschooling for six years and I have had three children, in, you know, taken out of the school system. And then they went back in in secondary school um, mm-hmm. because they wanted to give it a go. They didn't fall behind in any, in any way at all. Right. And the reason is because if you look at primary school books, you'll see second class, fourth class, sixth class. And if you open the page of each of them, they really, they cover the same stuff every year, a little bit more um, in detail. So even if your child missed a year, they wouldn't actually miss anything. And you say miss a year, it's not missing a year. If they're learning and if they're learning through play, you know, there are so many ways for the brain to develop when they're small yeah. that they're so, you know, it's a far more interesting lifestyle that they can have rather than sitting down academically and doing the same books over and over again. And you and know the way... going you, in each year, drip, drip. You know the way Onkegara comes to visit the classroom from time to yeah. time? Does, that, does anybody inspect a homeschooling scenario? Yes. In Tusla, you'll have an assessor coming out. So this is, what, this is part of the process that after a couple of months, or it depends on the time frame, but... Before they would come out to your house and they would do an assessment of you, the parents, on what you plan to do, how they plan, you know, how you plan to teach the children to read and write, basic reading, writing, certain skills that would suit their age. Now, recently this year, it's just been over the phone. So it has speeded up the process a little bit. So you are assessed in the beginning that you have a plan. You're not just going to let your children off willy nilly. And after that, then, if they have any reservations, they will come back and do a second assessment. But if not, they will approve you. Yeah. and you'll be registered as a homeschooling family. So Rachel was saying on her Facebook page yesterday, and she reiterated again there in her call to me this morning, she wants a choice. You're saying, Cora, she, she has a choice, and here's how Absolutely. she goes about exercising it. Absolutely. Yeah, you have a choice, and you can start straight away. And I would say keep a good relationship or an open relationship with your school, you know, and work with them. And I think schools, this is not normal time, so I, I'm sure schools will work with parents that are concerned like that that might have health issues or just, you know, worries about sending their children into school. And you can take the child out. This this question's come in more than once. Maybe I need to clarify it with you again. Once you start the process, you can take the child out before you actually have your, your yes, paperwork. Yes, day one. Day one. You decide yeah. to start the process. You can talk to your school, talk to Tusla, and the process will have started. But your child will still be registered in school for the coming months until you have your assessment. So by then, I think you'd have a good idea. You know, people might have more surety yeah, about bec- where because they're going. Yeah, the problem with Tusla, as we know, and again, it is a different department. I know that, but but if a child is is missing from school, 
for more than a given number of days in the school year, I believe it's still 20, that's the right. school is and obliged to refer to TUSLA. That's right. That's, that, that would be a separate issue. That's if you don't contact TUSLA. And then you're kind of in limbo. You're not sending your children to school and you haven't contacted TUSLA. So the first thing to do if you are thinking of homeschooling is get in touch with TUSLA. And once they are notified, that's fine. There is no issue. They'll send out the form and they'll start the process and get the ball rolling. Yeah. Is there a thing about uh, both parents, well, when, when there are two parents involved, both parents consent and the child is only taken off the register once a full assessment is made by TUSLA to ensure the child gets a proper education at home. That seems yes. to confuse it a bit. Do you, um, do you, do you, ha- you, don't, you don't have to wait for the approval? Not at all. Not at all. The, the approval and the whole process could take months, you know. So you have those months to decide what you want to do. But definitely you do need to contact TUSLA or there will be an issue between the school and TUSLA. Yeah, you know, yeah, you'll be in limbo. There's a case yeah. I'm sure you may have heard of it of DPP versus Kennedy, where right, where yeah. a child was was homeschooled and and it was the accusation was it was to the detriment of the child. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I can say, oh my goodness, you should just get in touch with some of the home educating families around the country. There's a vibrant, thriving community and you'll never meet more interesting people. And they have never, you know, they've done so much research individually. And I say that myself as well. Over the years, you do so much research to see Mm -hmm. that you're doing the right thing. A parent doesn't choose to homeschool just, you know, on a whim. Normally it would take a lot of research and speaking to other people. And if they could in September, all the meetups will start up again. And hopefully there will be outdoor meetups and small groups where people who are considering homeschooling, they could get in touch. And there is a local um, Cork community there. If anybody wants to go on the Facebook page, there's a Cork Home Education group. Yeah, yeah but, but also, that, that yeah. case I referred to uh, seems to suggest that you have to show that your homeschooling will not be to the detriment of the child. I wouldn't go that far. If you actually read it, it's just saying that they have to get a, you know, a basic standard of reading and writing and maths for their age. So if you can show that your child, plus a child learns through so many mediums, you know, as a child, they they learn through baking, they learn, you know, through play, 
you play Monopoly. You know, they're just learning all the time. So, yes, some can be book work, book work and some maybe not be at all. And as well as that, a lot of families would choose to unschool, which is a completely, What's you know, it's further out there. Exactly. <laughs> some families will choose to follow a curriculum and they'll have a set routine every day. And if you're coming out of school, it's often a good way to go because it reassures you and it reassures the child. But the longer you start the homeschool, you just see that you want the children to explore their own interests. So every day they get up and they have, you you know, we have a chat with them. What do they want to do? And you kind of follow their lead and you facilitate them. So we as parents are facilitating them. Now, some children will be very Do you mind me saying, Cora, and, and yes. forgive me now, I, I, I don't wish to sound dismissive. That sounds all like a bit sort of um, airy-fairy. Yeah, but you know what? It's proven. You'll see it yourself with your own children if you give them that respect and, you know, that's not teacher-student relationship, but like Rachel was saying, she's friends with her daughter. If you can chat to your child, and they will grow in confidence, they'll grow in ability and capability. And I've seen it with my own children. You know, I've heard it from other parents over the years who homeschool. And it's only when you walk the shoes yourself and yeah. you see your own children, how they develop and progress, it, it does work. Okay. All right, leave it there. Thanks very much. Cora McCauley from the Home Education Network. You can take your child out. There's a process. But you can start the process and then take a child out. So you can literally ring Tusla and ask for the department that deals with this kind of thing, education, their education officers in Tusla, and tell them, I'm taking my child out of such and such a school. She's not going back on the 1st of September. And I would like to start the process of homeschooling. And you can do that, according to Cora McCauley. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96 FM. Now we're talking about homeschooling. And we've clarified. First of all, I spoke to Rachel, who once is trying to decide what she's going to do in a couple of weeks. Is she going to send her little eight-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Rachel's a single parent, is she going to send her eight-and-a-half-year-old daughter back to school or is she going to try to homeschool her? Is she going to try and put a little arrangement together with a couple of parents who'd be friendly and kids who'd be friendly to do a little bit of a homeschooling exercise? She wants to know, does she have that choice? We spoke to Cora from the Home Education Network who says she absolutely does have that choice and, and this is how she goes about it. So we've clarified that. We know you can actually do it, uh, which it's probably the worst kept secret, I guess, or one of the best kept secrets. I would not have thought you could. I didn't think. I thought you had to get permission to do it, but you don't. You can just do it and tell Tusla you're doing it and, and look to be, de- look for the child to be deregistered. So you can do that. We've, 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 we've clarified that. Maeve, you went down the road of unschooling as well, did you? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, yes, I did. Uh, it, it was a, a philosophy education that um, just really appealed to me when I read about it. It's the, the concept is that we're always learning from age zero to 100 plus uh, every day of our lives and that humans are happy to learn and need to learn and uh, that they do very well, um, you know, outside an institution. They don't need exams or institutions in order to learn. Um, so th- that appealed to me for my family and my children. You have three girls. Why did you go down that? I mean, 
I suppose since, since since the concept of education began, it has form, followed a curriculum in a classroom with a teacher, with a set plan of what needs to be learned, and, and it has always been thus. But who decided on the curriculum for your girls? Well, I mean, I suppose, you know, humans have been around long before there was formal educational systems. And in Ireland, it was probably the mid-1800s when you had formal curricula um, and I think we probably all look back at past curricula and uh, wonder about their relevance to anything now. You know, curricula are just implemented and, and they change all the time. Because I was unschooling, I wasn't constrained by any curriculum. I just, uh, I could see how much my four-year-old, when she was four, learned every day and I was I was reluctant to have her stop playing for so long every day and to be in a seat uh, in a large classroom, especially at the time I was on a career break. I had been a teacher myself and yeah. I was on a career break. So I thought, well, until I go back teaching again, I'll wait, you know, and, and that was my plan. I was going to send her in. Mm. But you see, you have, you, Maeve, you've got the, the background, you've got the training, you are a teacher. Most of us are not. And, and and the idea that and and look, I'm I'm voicing what a lot of people will say, and I know we'll talk about the Sudbury method in a minute, the the, the, the totally new method. But um, like, if you let a child decide what it wants to learn, it'll only learn what it likes. The child will not learn what it's necessary to learn. I would suggest. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from, PJ, but I think it's best to look at our own lives, really, to understand that and see how much we learn in a day. I mean, look how many, how much you've learned already. You didn't know it, that you could homeschool and it's been there in the Constitution since the Constitution was formed, that the family is the primary educator of children. So, you, you know, you've learned something and you're open to it and we're talking about it. So it's equally the same for children. I mean, they're always busy. You know, they're always going. They're always busy. They're always wanting mm. to learn. But how and are they going to learn? Again, you being a teacher, it's 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 advantageous to you. But but there's well, a no. Uh, sorry, sorry to cut across you, mm. PJ. To be honest, I actually think the opposite is true. Who taught them to read and spell? Who taught them? I had to, to de-school myself. Mm. You know, um, I mean, I think that I had to just marvel at the ability of children to learn and to teach me. Oh, they pick stuff up, they're like little sponges, but who taught them to read? Who taught them to spell? Who taught them their their tables? (laughs) Yeah, I I know, absolutely. So, um, I mean, when it comes to reading, first of all, books and literacy is all around our society. So children want to function in their society. They want to do what the adults are doing. They want to do what everybody's doing. We had a home that is filled with books. That just happens to be what we're interested in. And I read to them. I read to them, you know, every evening, as probably most parents do to their children. And then I let it be. You know, I never taught them phonics. I, you know, I had done that in schools. Never taught them phonics. I mean, if they asked me anything, I always answered them. And if I didn't know the answer, which is where it comes in, that every adult can find out the answer to anything they want. We, you know, we live in the age of easy Internet access, Wikipedia, you you know, books everywhere, libraries filled with so much information. So if we want to know anything or if our child themselves wants to go find out anything, they can. Mm. All my children learn to, to read in a very relaxed, organic way to the extent that I was kind of, go, I was kind of going, All right, did you read that whole book without okay. pictures? 
and what, it surprised me. What, what, just, what, what about the other experiences of school, walk. though? The yeah. other experiences of school, you know, the life, the lifelong friendships that are formed when you're as young as seven. Oh, you know. they're wonderful. They're, like, the friendships are wonderful, and that has been the life today of our family. I, you know, my children are, have lots of friends. Too many friends, I tell my 15-year-old now, because I can't. She's just socialising every day, especially in the summer. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, the same way, I guess, we think, oh, I meet, I meet friends at work. How do I meet friends outside work? But there's loads of ways to meet friends, yeah. you know. Um, many would have been family friends. They would have gone to football. They were in orchestras. They were in there's, choirs. Yeah, there's, there's more than one way to swing a yeah, cat, as the, as the old monsters. saying goes. Very, uh, very briefly yeah. and quickly. I mean, these, these children have fantastic social lives, and I would say probably most people yeah. feel they'd like to curtail the numbers they're trying to, you yeah. know, keep up with the play dates and everything. So that's, that's never a problem. And right. what's great is... If, if they go, if they're in a situation where they're feeling stressed or, um, you know, on public display for five hours every day, that can, Im- that can impede their social, okay. Okay. you know, um, exchange. La- lastly and briefly, what is a Sudbury school? Um, a Sudbury school is a democratic school. And um, uh, I think that was set up in Massachusetts. It would be along the lines of a school... Uh, A.S. Neil wrote a book called Summer Hill and set up the Summer Hill schools in England. And the idea is that, you know, you're all equal learners, both adults and children. The adults aren't there to say, go learn your Irish grammar, go learn your tables. Everyone wants to learn. If you don't want to learn, you go and do something else in another room. You you know, uh, in the larger schools, you know, I guess they would have maybe a music room, a quiet room. Mm-hmm. Um, kitchens where children are baking um, so you know there's more autonomy where do they learn form and structure and, and rules well, I which mean, are part of learning too um, rules part of learning what, I mean, you have to do your, there are times when you have I to do your Irish grammar <laughs> well I think it's funny like I mean I adore Irish myself um, but I'm just you know I think as regards learning Irish in school based systems it really didn't work or history me. or geography or anything at all you learn all the time. I mean, you watch a film, you read a book. Uh, you, I mean, you, you know, I had one child age six. She had read all the horrible histories, which actually can take a huge amount of, um, you know, very interesting facts. You know, so, I mean, you're, you're the freedom to, uh, to be honest, I think you'd be surprised. And I really would like to reassure people that you can't stop children learning. No. You, but you, it's hard to force them to learn okay. what you think is right on that particular day. But I think if you trust in, your, in yourself and your own learning, and if you trust in your children's ability to learn, um, you, you know, you'll feel so much more relaxed. And, you know, if you do choose to homeschool, you know, at the moment on a temporary capacity or in a more permanent capacity, I think... Um, You'll you relish this time. It's very precious. Okay. All right. Leave it there for today, Maeve. I'm sure we'll talk again. That's uh, Maeve from the Home Education Network in in East Cork. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I don't know what to think of the whole idea. Um, part of me is screaming, this is daft. The other part of me is screaming, well, there were things 30 years ago that they thought were daft that we do now. I'm... 
caught between the two. 185715996. Whenever a child goes back to school, they're going to need a lunchbox and they're going to need a healthy lunchbox. We're talking yesterday about the dangers of the lunchbox and the sharing of the lunchbox is going to be a problem going forward. But the Minister for Children, uh, Minister O'Gorman, has announced an initiative supporting parents and children learning about healthy lunchboxes. And Dr. Eva Orsmond has been saying for many, many years that where do you learn to eat properly and eat healthily, you learn from the very first time you put food in your mouth. Dr. Eva, good morning. Good morning. That is true, isn't it? From the very first time you put food in your mouth, you learn what's good for you. Absolutely, and it should be mother's milk. (laughs) It should be breastfeeding. We have a low breastfeeding rate. I just want to put that there. I know we are talking about another topic, but... But yes, absolutely, the good habits are created from the childhood. And I like you were interviewing there earlier, the lady, you know, really children don't just learn what you are telling them. They learn from you and what you are doing as a parent. Children copy parents. So it's very important what we do, not what we tell children to do. So lunch, the whole lunchbox concept is kind of going to have to change for COVID when kids are going back to school. So that alone is going to be a learning curve. How do we keep the lunchboxes healthy for kids, particularly youngsters going for the first time? I mean, there's obviously uh, what I think that healthy lunchboxes should be, and then there is what the current advice is. And I well, find let's, let's go with Dr. Eva's healthy lunchbox first. Now, my, my idea of a healthy lunch is that children's diets, like adults' diets, should be based on vegetables because we need fiber and we know that Irish people are, we are, we are not just in the middle of a pandemic of COVID, but we have been for many years in the middle of obesity epidemic. So over 60% of parents, uh, adults are overweight and over 25% of children were overweight before pre-COVID. Now, over the COVID lockdown, uh, a lot of parents gained at least a stone of weight and so did children. So these are these figures are much, the percentage are much most probably higher. Uh, the trend seems to be going on. We have also linked a more worse outcome of COVID for those people who are overweight. So we know that um, if you get infected with COVID-19, you are more likely to get the most serious consequences if you are overweight or obese or you have an underlying condition. So what, what they are not saying on the news when they are talking about children being affected or younger people being died of COVID, they don't say what nutritional status these people were, which is very unfortunately because many of those people are overweight or have an underlying condition because COVID-19 don't really affect healthy people who have good immune systems. So I think it's important well, to highlight... That, that's a bit of a generalisation, yeah, say, but Dr. We, yeah, no, because we have enough evidence of this. We have, I mean, we can't generalise. I never, ever want to generalise, but we need to remember that there is a personal responsibility for our health and, and also how we actually look after and what is our response and not just always say disease falls from the sky because in many cases it falls worse in when, when you are actually predisposed. And overweight and obesity is a major, yeah. major... Um, risk factor. And on this line, obviously, children's lunchboxes and what children eat at school will obviously already take a big percentage of their daily diet. So I'm preparing a lunchbox for an eight-year-old on the 1st of September. What should go in and what absolutely should not? Absolutely, they should be vegetables and they should be high-fiber food. Now, at the currently, the government is recommending that the fiber should come a lot from the cereal-based foods, from rice, 
potatoes, pasta, high grain, whole grain breads, which I think it's wrong because this is already something that children easily eat where we know that there's a lack of vegetable intake. And the government has not addressed this and the the new guidelines that are out there with this Let's Get Ready campaign Mm. is absolutely um, disgraceful that they are actually advising parents to give so much fruit, they're actually telling parents to cook more rice and pasta on these guidelines. And there's no recognition about the the fact that children are already overweight. They're also not recognizing the fact that the, the overweight and obesity epidemic has, we have to basically stop the growth. Sure. So what and would you put in? I would put vegetables. What kind of vegetables? Oh, children usually like root vegetables. So for example, carrot sticks, you know, cauliflowers, you know, Cucumber sticks, celery sticks, but the problem. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Well, Brian says that was an excellent interview with Dr. Eva Orsman. Great advice for our health system on obesity, etc. Well done for showing us the way forward. Parents are responsible, says this message. Parents are responsible for their children's health. All aspects of it. End of story. They wouldn't mind getting a call about a fall or a broken bone. It's time to stop molly coddling and tiptoeing around sensitive subjects. Address them head on. Stop making a big deal of it. I completely agree with Dr. Eva says this message also. What Dr. Eva Orsman was saying on the opinion line this morning is that she's in favour, given that we have such a problem with obesity and children being overweight, as she sees it, we should go back to periodic weighing of children in school. Now, not being called down to the headmaster's office and told hop up at the scales. No. But the school nurse or whatever doctor, whatever professional is visiting the school, nutritionist, dietitian, whatever, that they should weigh the child. And if the child is above average, say, for the class, that the parent will be notified that, look, you know, little John or little Susan, little Mary, they're, they're a bit, you know, overweight for, for their age and for their average. And maybe we need to start addressing it. And that parents should be willing and able to get and, and take to take calls like that. And that that's where we start dealing with the obesity problem. Now, Dr. Eva would be unpopular in some households for that, uh, particularly Antoinette's household, who said, Not a hope in hell would my kids be getting weighed in school. This is on Twitter. I have all shapes and sizes of kids here. Believe it or not, the thinnest of the lot eats the most. They eat healthily most days, so if anyone's going to tackle their weight, then it'll be me and not the school. But I think Dr. Eva is saying, Antoinette, that the school should be the one to tip you off to it and so that you can take take action against it, as it were. On the few subjects on homeschooling, etc., etc., Mag says, I've done my level best with the home homeschooling thing, but I'm not a teacher. As well as that, children need routine. They need to interact with other children in a school-based setting. Mine are counting down the days to go back. And I'll storm the effing toil if they can't. <laughs> and Chris says, I feel we can teach and support their interests and personalities at home, but uh, they need lessons in school. Even learning how to fall in and out of others or just getting on with it is how life works, right? We have a few other comments, including apparently something I said earlier on this morning. Children have gone into play school shouting it at the tea. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Or into daycare. Oh, no. I... Maybe it'll work. Let us go back to Debenhams. Uh, we spoke yesterday with Valerie from Debenhams, who clarified um, very simply for us the situation 
with the strikes. This is day 131. The strike is official. It remains official. It was a mandate balloted for strike action and it remains official until mandate decides that it's over. KPMG, the liquidators were apparently saying it's it's over and it's unofficial, that the strike is unofficial. It's not unofficial. And this morning, the Debenhams workers have taken their case to KPMG and they're outside the KPMG building on the south now. Uh, Karen, or Valerie rather, good morning again. Good morning, how are you? Good, good. And and that clarification yesterday was 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 very simple. You're on strike till mandate says you're not on strike anymore. Exactly, exactly. We're so, out here now this morning um, in front of KPMG offices and the girls are outside the store striking officially. And tell me, why, have K- why do you think KPMG were saying that over the weekend? Because they are hoping that we will collapse. They want to get the stock out, and by them saying that, they are hoping that they, we will collapse. But what they don't realise is they actually just made us stronger. As if you saw the crowd here this morning, you'd see. Yeah, I believe there's quite a good crowd down there. Yes. You know, great support, as usual, from other, from other people, plus the store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 131 days and, and you, you continue. Has anyone come out from KPMG? God, no, I don't expect anybody either. <laughs> I know. We are making ourselves heard, though. Now, I can hear that. <laughs> uh, I, I can hear that. Um, I, I have a little bit of a surprise for you. Um, okay. Valerie, uh, you, 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 I've no doubt that you heard back in the day, uh, and as an activist in, in union matters all your life, you will certainly have heard of the Dunn Stores apartheid strike. Yes, yes. And you, you may I, even have read the book. Um, I probably haven't been honest with you, um, but I, will, I know Karen has been very good to she us. She has, and she's yes. on the line. Oh my God, brilliant. Oh my God, seriously. Karen <laughs> Gearan, one of the original Dunn Stores apartheid strikers from back in the day. Karen, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good, Hello, and Valerie. W- welcome to the Opinion Line. And 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 you're here today on behalf of, of, of your colleagues back in the day to endorse the, the Debenhams workers. Talk to me, re- remind people, younger people maybe, Karen, about your case going back when? Well, I suppose our strike started um, in 1984 and it was when we refused to handle South African apartheid goods. Um, which was a union instruction. Um, and initially when we came out and strike, we would have known very little about apartheid, but we learned very quickly and it became for us much more than a union instruction. We only wanted the right not to handle them, but through our strike and uh, all the support we got, uh, we actually forced the Irish government to change policy and ban all South African produce which when we met Nelson Mandela later, he said that contributed greatly yeah. to the isolation. Now, of yeah, now that rolls off the tongue as if, yeah, should I met Johnny down the shop? You met <laughs> Nelson Mandela? We did. We met Nelson Mandela when he was released from prison in uh, 1991 and he presented us with his uh, Medal of Bravery. Um, and then when he passed away in 2013, we actually were over there representing the Irish people at his funeral. Um, and it does sound like it rolls off the tone, but I mean, our strike lasted two years and nine months. Yeah. Um, and even when it was over, um, we suffered greatly because of it. Yeah. But we, none of us, none of the ten of us would change 
one minute of what we did and how we achieved that was the solidarity that we had between ourselves as a group and also all the other people that supported us. One of your colleagues wrote a book about it a couple of years ago. That's right, Mary. Mary, I read it. I read it in a night. Fascinating <laughs> story. It was. A, God, that was a long. It's a long book. It was a long night. <laughs> <laughs> there was much coffee, but but a lot yeah, of but 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 it's it's a wonderful story, and yeah. I think to have the endorsement of of such a group, Valerie, uh, you must be thrilled. You're publicly endorsed by one of the most famous striking groups in 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 Irish history. It is absolutely amazing, and she has absolutely been amazing. She has been going down to picket lines. She wrote a fab, an absolutely fabulous press release for us yesterday, and we actually really do appreciate all that she's doing for us. Yeah. What advice but, would you have for them? Okay, I mean, one thing is really, really important. They're incredible workers, and they're incredible trade unionists. Um, they're not only standing up for what was a legal agreement between Debenhams and their trade union mandate, but they're actually standing up for every other worker in this country who is going to be faced with similar issues, especially at the moment with this pandemic coming up. So I would, I would absolutely support them 110%, but I would also say to them, stay together, stay solid, and remember, your battle is, is just the first of many battles that are going to be fought in this country. And both the Irish government and the whole trade union movement, including the Irish Congress trade union, need to get behind those workers and stand right there, right beside them, and fight what KMPG are doing and what Debenhams are doing. I, I've spoken, Karen, with, with, with Valerie, and we brought on one of the, the leaders of the Vita Cortex group, of workers uh, on their 100th day. Cal came on uh, to mark that. Cal from the Vita Cortex sit in people. But since Vita Cortex happened, and there have been other examples over the years, there have been opportunity upon opportunity for government to change the law so people like Debenhams can't just hightail it out of the country and leave the likes of Valerie and her colleagues in, in the lurch like this. And yet the law has not been changed. No, it hasn't. And if you look at back in Cleary's when they closed there a number of years ago, there was actually a report commissioned and finished. And that's been sitting on government desks for the last four or five years. They have done nothing for workers, but they, they need to remember who kept this country going over the last six months. And it's been ordinary, everyday workers that have kept us going, that have fed us, that have cleaned up after us, that have kept this country going. So retail workers are the most essential workers, one of the most essential workers in this country and we need to start respecting them and pay them correctly and make sure they have rights and entitlements. And mandate is traditionally, well it's the major one anyway, the, it is. the shop workers union, if you like, yeah. breaking it down to that simple term, mandate the shop workers union. Yeah. You're calling, I think Karen, on, on the, the, the very high people, the very top people in mandate to accelerate this a little bit? Oh, absolutely. They need to they need to step up and add more and get other members of other trade unions to get down to the picket line and help these workers that are in dispute with Debenhams. They need to be calling out the Irish Congress of Trade Unions and get them behind these workers. This isn't just a fight about Debenhams. This is a against every organisation and company in this country that will use this pandemic to get out of the country and not pay workers. What they legally are obliged to take them. They signed an agreement. If you or I sign an agreement we're legally obliged to stand by that agreement. Why aren't they? Are you suggesting, and I think you are from what I have in front of me that mandate should even consider a half day strike of all retail workers? Well, why not? I mean, 
unfortunately it's illegal because those, those, that legislation has been changed that no secondary strikes can happen in this country anymore. So that needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Listen, Karen Gearan from the Dunstores apartheid strike back in the 80s and Valerie Condon from Debenhams right here in 2020. Thank you both. And thank you very much and the very best of luck. Cheers. Thank you. Keep, thank her, you. keep her lit, Val. 1850-715-996. That's, that's, that's a heavy duty endorsement. Um, read that book. Get that book. I, I, the name of it escapes me right now. Doc, can you look that up for me? The book on, on the apartheid strike. It's Mary or something. It, I'll get the name of it in a minute. It's, it's, it's a great read. It's a, as, as Gabo used to say, a thumping good read about industrial relations and strikes and people standing up for their rights in, in the workplace. 1850-715-996. Tony would like us to say thank you to someone. Tony was walking along the marina last Saturday around 10 to 3 in the afternoon and he took as he said, a bit of a turn. Uh, and a stranger was very kind, gave him some water and a bit of a protein bar. Would love to make contact with that kind stranger again. Uh, we have Tony's contact details. So if you were around the marina last Saturday around 10 to 3, and you came to the aid of a man who had taken, as he says himself, a bit of a turn, uh, they'd love to say thank to thank you properly. And you can contact us with all the details. 1850-715-996. Yes, that book. And I, anyone who's remotely interested in industrial relations and, and the history of industrial relations in this country... Uh, should read this book. It, it's called Striking Back, The Untold Story of an Anti-Apartheid Striker by Mary Manning with Sinead O'Brien. You'll pick it up in, in any good bookstore and I'm sure there's a there's a Kindle version that you can download. Striking Back, The Untold Story of an Anti-Apartheid Striker. I tell you, read that book and you'll, you'll understand why what's happening with the Debenham workers is so important and you'll understand why what happened with Vita Cortex was so important and you'll understand why what happened with the Duns workers was so important. 1850-715-996. Pot of coffee, packet of biscuits, sorted. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Cork's 96FM. I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Eva Orsmond has kicked off a bit of a discussion among our listeners this morning with her comments about tackling childhood obesity and tackling it through the school, through, among other things, weighing the child in school. Monica says, I think she has a point. The weight issue should be addressed and tackled in a manner that doesn't have an effect on the child's mental health. People are either too laid back or too strict with it. And that's when it results in obesity or anorexia, both of which have dire consequences to the individual's health. This also should be applied to adults. And is it Virgil? Virgil on WhatsApp says, Hello all. Unfortunately, it's an old misbelief that overweight only comes from bad or overeating. Measuring child weight can highlight an unseen hormonal issue and early prevention can help further issues to come. If it's done properly, it shouldn't cause any harm. Thank you for that. And Brian says, Hi PJ, just wondering, can you highlight on your show? That's not related to school lunches, but I'll read it anyway. 
<laughs> I'll read it anyway. Hi, PJ. I'm just wondering, can you highlight on your show the traffic lights in Donnybrook by the Maxwell Garage have been out of action for at least three weeks? That down there near Breen's? I have a brother with special needs who attends the Brook Day Centre, and I actually fear for his safety as he uses the green man button on a regular basis and does a lot of, as do a lot of his work colleagues. And now they're left to fend for themselves, crossing a seriously busy road on any given day. Thanks for that, Brian. That's down there. Is, I take it that's the one near Breen's Garage there in, in Donnybrook. Is that the one? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a busy road. Those those lights should be fixed. Someone needs to get on to the, to the uh, county council and throw some crosswords or whoever, whoever looks after it. With regard to face masks... And before I just go to Joey in a second, lads, I just want to get through a few of these because we're inundated with messages this morning. Carla says, I know I'll be killed for saying this, but the guards should be doing spot checks on shops and supermarkets. With all due respect and with allowances made for people with medical conditions, uh, the guards should be doing this as they would with any law. Think of the revenue they could drag out of it. Also, you've well-known politicians saying they won't enforce the law in their places. Speaking of Michael Healy Ray, who's saying he won't enforce the mask rule in his spar in Kilgarvan. I wonder, will the Health and Safety Authority take a position on that because of workers' health? 1850 Now, tomorrow, just as a, as a bit of a heads up for you, uh, we're hearing more and more every day now that the people getting COVID-19, the new cases, the uptake, as it were, that the, the majority of those people, over three quarters of them, are under the age of 45. And we were told from the start, look, if you're under 45, for the most part, you'll be grand. You mightn't have any symptoms at all. And if you do get them, you'll be fine in a week or two. That's not always the case. And there's a thing now called long COVID, which is when a young, healthy person gets COVID-19, it initially looks like a relatively mild thing, like a bad cold or a mild flu, but they're still struggling to come back to the physical condition in which they were weeks and weeks and weeks later. So we will come back to that tomorrow. 1850 We also dealt with insurance the other day and trying to get life insurance when you've had cancer. And uh, that prompted calls from people who were saying to us that they were tested positive for COVID-19. But if they reveal in making a mortgage application or anything like that, that they had COVID-19, they might have had it in February or March and made a full recovery, as most people do. You might have made a full recovery. And you put that down when you're being honest on your application form and Lord, you won't get any life insurance. And is that a thing? Is that a thing? That does that does that really happen? That people who've had COVID nineteen, even a mild form of it, when they honestly fill out an application form for a mortgage, will they be denied life insurance? Let's go to. Uh, we're, we're keeping him busy these days. Uh, Joey Sheehan, the mortgage coach. Joey, good morning to you. Uh, what is the story? Good morning, PJ. Um, are people being turned down for in life insurance because they've had COVID nineteen? Well, one thing that's changed, PJ, since the pandemic is that the insurance companies are asking people if they've had any symptoms of COVID or if they've tested positive for it or if they've been in contact with anybody who has it. Uh, so then they're underwriting, uh, medically underwriting that individual on the basis of their answers to that. So this obviously is a moving target and, you know, the companies um, are ultimately insured with reinsurer 
insurance companies through London, um, and I suppose companies here in Ireland that we would know, the Avivas, the Zurichs, the um, Irish Life, the New Ireland, the Royal London's, the Friends First, they'd be the names we'd, we'd deal with um, and the people would know here. But ultimately, there'd be a company behind them uh, in London that would essentially be writing the cheque, let's say, in the event of a claim. Yeah. Now, some companies are being kind of pragmatic enough and others are being more more detailed in what they're looking for. So, for example, um, I made some inquiries on Friday when I, your, your team was on to me, and some, some of the companies are looking to see, if you've had it, do you have any underlying illnesses? And maybe they're looking at that person as slightly more risk, and they might be looking to defer um, offering cover to that person. Um, whereas other companies, once you've tested positive um, and then you've tested negative, they're willing to offer um, terms maybe after a month. But each company is kind of setting its own um, parameters around this at the moment, uh, PJ. It's worrying given that this is going to be with us for a while and as we'll be covering on the programme tomorrow, some people can be unlucky enough to have COVID for for a very long time. It, it could have a big impact on, on people's mortgage applications. Well, exactly. So the majority of banks will insist on having a life policy in place before you're allowed to draw down your mortgage. So, you know, at mylifecover.ie, we have six agencies with different companies. And as I say, they're all offering, you know, they're, they're looking at this differently. And some are being more amenable uh, than others to people who have had COVID. So there, there is a way, you know, so if you get onto mylifecover.ie, we, we can uh, deal with one of the companies that will suit you and hopefully get the cover in place once your test is negative. Okay. Joey, thanks as always. And we're keeping you very busy these days and appreciate your time always. That's Joey Sheehan, uh, the mortgage coach, uh, mymortgage.ie. And mor- um, uh, we'll, we'll give you all his contact details. But if you want his his information, uh, in fact, what we might do actually, guys, uh, Dr. Fergal, can one of you just tweet Joey's contact details so that people can contact him if they have queries like that? Just his website. We don't need to give his personal mobile number, his website, and people can can make contact with him there. That's Joey Sheen, uh, the mortgage coach. But it is happening. If you've had COVID-19 and you're honest in your mortgage application, as we would always encourage you to be, be honest, uh, you could find yourself with a problem as regards to uh, life insurance. Just talking about the Debenhams workers a while ago, I, I meant to mention this earlier. See this shocking story. Now, they, they seem to think at this stage that it might not affect us in Ireland, but they'd said the same about Debenhams. So let's put that at the back of our minds. Marks and Spencer are to axe 7,000 jobs across their stores in the UK over the next three months after sales were hit by coronavirus. Now, they go across the shops, regional management, support centre, all that. Um, a lot of it will be voluntary or early retirement. Uh, but their like their total sales in clothing, for example, fell thirty percent in the eight weeks since the shop shops reopened in in the UK. Uh, online is up a bit, but seven thousand jobs to go across Marks and Spencer in the UK. What we think is their Irish stores should be okay, but let us remind ourselves and let us not forget. That's what they said about Debenhams as well. 1850-715-996. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Before I finish up today, let me remind you of the things not to do on a Zoom call. 
great story from Brazil. A great story from Brazil of things not to do on a Zoom call. That's to come before we finish today. But Trep, what's this, I wonder? Look at that. Just like we struck oil. So that's... Oh, that black stuff is coming out of the septic tanks for the houses up here. John Ullman, what is that stuff in the glass on the video? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? That stuff is human waste. Tell me where you are and where this affects. This affects Shannon Vale. Um, I'm living in uh, Shannon Vale, County Cork, just outside Cali County. As most of your listeners will know, we, most of your listeners should know by now at this stage, we've had an ongoing issue with uh, Cork County Council for about 30 years now at this stage in relation to an, uh, an overflow from a septic tank based in the park, in the, the only immunity that's actually in the village. Right. So these... Uh, what we have is we have the original nine houses in the village. We have a septic tank at the back of those, which works fine. But then the runoff tank, the soak area into the park, that is where the problem lies. It's actually not fit for purpose. And as a result, it doesn't work properly. And as you can see from the video, you have human waste oozing up to the surface. And What you effectively have is a bog of, of, of human waste. Correct. Correct. Exactly right. Now, what's worse is that's now flowing into, and I've never been there, but I believe there's a very, very popular swimming area down there. Yeah, so it's basically what we have is a little swimming hole down at the riverbank there that all the locals use. And uh, yeah, again, we've kids from town as well coming up to swim there. It's a nice, during the lockdown, it was an ideal situation that kids were able to come over and, and swim away fine. Uh, unfortunately, um, the park has. As, as much as the park is un- unusable at the moment, there is a footpath that runs down the length of the park. The runoff uses that footpath and makes its way down the footpath and then into the into the river. We're lucky enough, though, uh, that the the runoff runs in below the swimming hole, so the kids aren't actually swimming in any waste as such. Um, but it's. It's actually below the swimming hole that the waste is actually running into. You'd, you'd worry, of course, that with, with the heavy rain of recent days, of know, course, things well, are overflowing right, left and centre. Well, I mean, the residents in Clonakilty are concerned as to why their drinking water tastes weird at the moment. They know exactly why now. Wow. That's horrible. Yeah, because the, the River Argadine is the source of Clonakilty's drinking water. So at the moment we have human waste. Going into that, along with everything else that is, that is required in terms of being uh, treated, the water needs to be treated heavily before it's fit for consumption. So you can imagine the amount of work that has to be done to it um, to make it fit for human consumption. And you say this isn't a today nor yesterday problem? No, no, no. This is going on for 30 years. Uh, who's who's been, letting it go on for 30 years? Cork County Council initially. Um, they have been the ones with the responsibility... To, to deal with it for the last 30 years and they have pretty much done very little, let's be honest about it they've done very little over the last 30 years to, 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 to come up with a workable permanent solution to the problem what they have done is you know, every couple of years they'll do just, just for want of a better word a half-assed attempt uh, at doing some sort of a uh, little patch or a little fix just to get the residents to shut up and, um, you know, well, there you go. Six months' time, we're back to square one. I'm sure that you've had, uh, over the years, engineers look at it and tell you what needs to be done. 
We we have we've had uh, like we've we've got uh, engineers we've got um, civic engineers that have you know local engineers as well that we know we know what can be done we know that that there's a very easy fix which is we fine. know we know that basically uh, we can drop in we can we can remove the old septic tank that's there we can put in a purpose built uh, treatment unit that, that will service twelve houses. It's only nine houses on the line, but we can put in a septic uh, tank unit that will actually service these, uh, that could accommodate 12 houses. And then it's a, so all it basically what you'll have then running into the, the park, which would be that's just a standard fresh, clean, fresh water. Pray tell why this pr- isn't being done. Why isn't it being done? Mm. Uh, that's an excellent question, and I'm sure only Cork County Council can answer that one in terms of why it hasn't been done at any stage over the last 30 years. Your local TD is there. Is, is Christopher O'Sullivan your local TD there in Clon, isn't he? That is, is correct. Yeah, he yeah. Has, is, he, is he aware of this? Christopher is very aware. And in fairness to Christopher, he spoke uh, in the Dáil uh, a couple of weeks ago and brought it to the attention of Leah Varadkar. Mr. Varadkar, uh, in turn, said he would bring it to the minister in question. Uh, we also had Holly Kearns stand up and speak to the Minister directly yeah. on behalf of Sean Vale and next yeah. is it is it is it it's Eamon Ryan is Minister of the Environment now, isn't it? I don't know, to be honest with you. I actually wouldn't be aware of that. Um I think it is. I think I think he's direct directly involved for environment and climate change and all that old stuff is, is, is aiming at the moment. It's is the gig he kind of wanted, like, as leader of the Green Party. Do you know? Potentially, but um, we I, I don't know. I'll be honest, but I don't know. Um, both uh, in terms of uh, Paul Hayes, uh, Holly Kearns, and we've also had, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Christopher Sullivan, Paul Hayes and Holly Kearns have all made representations on our behalf at both county council level and at now at national level. And um, we've had some movement. We've had some development. Um, up to recently, we've had a team of engineers and, and um, surveyors from Irish Water, Cork County Council and uh, EPA on site in Shanville. And they're all in the midst of producing some form of a report. Um, and hopefully we'll have some action then based on on, on the report in question. When your engineers were looking at the easy fix that you talk of, did they put a cost on it? Yeah, we, we ballparked the actual um, the treatment unit at €40,000. That's a drop in the ocean. <laughs> and this is this is the frustrating thing. We, Does we electric had... cars cost more than that, Minister Ryan? <laughs> well, th- this is the thing. Like we we uh, we know that it can, it can be done. Uh, you know, it can be done pretty effectively for for reasonable cost. But for some reason, some reason best known to Cork Council over the last thirty years, they've chosen not to do it. Okay. Well, right, what well. we've had over what we've had repeatedly from Cork County Council is 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 some attempt to basically buy themselves Sticking time. Yes, and all it does is buy themselves time. So they'll come along and they've thrown a load of topsoil in on top of the park. Oh, for goodness sake, that just becomes Uh, more mud. Exactly what More dirty, itty mud, basically. Yeah, well, the last time they did is they they dumped a load of topsoil, building rubble and clay from a building site in Artfield uh, into the park. Oh, great. So now you have stinking builder's rubble in there as well. We we do have builders rubble, and just in case anybody has any doubts, we have photographs of the builders rubble before it was covered over with um, 
with uh, uh, topsoil. In other words, they're but, trying to backfill it out of it. Correct, and they're just they're, all they're trying to do is buy themselves some time. So, uh, okay. but again, that's ten years, that's fifteen years ago, and it, it it hasn't worked. I get a sense from your voice, John, and 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 maybe some of your local um, colleagues there and li- living locally. You're in, up with this, you will no longer put, as the saying goes. Uh, absolutely not, because we have we we have potentially got a beautiful amenity in the middle of the village that nobody can use. Absolutely nobody can use. It's a bog full of human waste. No, none of our kids can go down and play there. It's it's just an absolute no go area. It's not, and, not acceptable. Uh, you know, not considering acceptable. what we've gone through over the last couple of months, where you know we've all had to you know, put on the green jersey and stay at home. Mm. There's very little for the kids to do when they are at home when the weather is fine. Okay. All right, John. I'm happy to help you to highlight it today. I appreciate and it. Thank you. If there's anything else that's a bit of any pressure that can be put on, on politicians, we'll see what we can do. That's John Allman down in, in, uh, in, in Shannon Vale. Yes, it, thank you. Uh, the executive research desk. I, I should know, I was fairly sure anyway, Eamon Ryan is the present minister for Environment, Communications and Climate Action. Uh, we'll get a statement out of it, maybe. No, I'm never going to stop that. Anne was on to say, PJ, I believe everyone should wear a mask. If it's uncomfortable, try wearing a visor. Yes, some people might have sensory issues, but they're a small number of people. So many people claim they're unable to wear them, but just suck it up. If you have a medical condition and are unable to wear them, then maybe you should be at home anyway. Sorry for being so direct, but again, my elderly parents are paying the price for non-compliance in the other age groups from Anne. I'll let that there for what it's worth. Uh, I was talking to a good friend of mine, dear friend of mine over the weekend, who would be a little older than me, but cannot, just simply cannot wear a face mask for anything more than a couple of minutes would have a bit of a sensory issue, shall we say. And can't. Um, just can't. It's not able. But still, his wife has an underlying medical condition and has been practically cocooning since the start. So who does the shopping? Who provides the food? That's the thing, Anne. But I take your point. Those of us who are able to should wear Masks. I hate them. I'll never like them. I'll never pretend to like them. But we should wear them. Here's a query. I don't know if anyone can help. This has just come in. Please don't mention my name. I was looking for some advice. I work part-time in the mornings. And I had asked my employer at the start of the summer, would my hours stay the same as always? She said they would. I have three kids in school. Two weeks ago, we were informed by the school there was to be no breakfast or no after-school club. Then my employer sent a text last week saying my hours were changing. This means I need to get somebody to mind my kids for an hour every morning. Now, I'm on my own. I have nobody, no family nearby. I've always struggled with my mental health, but now I just feel so under pressure and so desperate. I know I'm not entitled to a cent if I walk away from the job, and I wouldn't be entitled to a COVID payment. Has any listener got any advice for me? 1850 putting it out there for what it's worth, as they say. Now, 
Dogs for Disabled currently have, we've talked to them many times before on the show, currently have more than 200 uh, assistants and task dogs working around the country and they're all trained to meet the needs of their partner and they're always looking to train and prepare more dogs and Jenny Dowler is with Dogs for the Disabled. Jenny, good morning to you again. Good morning, PJ. How good, are you? You've had a busy show this morning. And indeed, and, and, and great to talk to you once more, as as like always. Like um, what it, you're you're looking for? You're looking for people to 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 get involved with you as best they can, yeah. Well, what we're looking at the moment for really where we're struggling because of COVID is the client training part of it. So we've got young children from six years of age coming from all over Ireland to be trained with their stability dogs. Um, And due to the COVID um, situation, it's caused difficulties for us because normally they would stay in hotel accommodation in and around the city. Um, One, there's, there's, there's not so much hotel accommodation, but also it's all our children in the at risk groups. So we want, we're really looking to try and uh, secure a property in and around the city, city suburbs, where the kids can stay with their parents for the week during the training session. And that's really what we're looking to do now to modify our services a small bit, just to keep our children safe while they're here in Cork visiting, while they're training with their new assistance dogs. These are our sort of the elements of hotel closures and B&B closures and Airbnb closures we wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a, I suppose, the hotels that are open are very busy um, and it just makes it difficult then because obviously we have to keep our children mixing with the minimum amount of people to try and prevent um, any contamination because our children, unfortunately, are in the at-risk group. They all have issues, health issues, really, that would, would... would make them much more vulnerable uh, and make the, getting COVID far more serious, you know? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, uh, at the moment, how many people have you got going through training? It, it sounds like there's a backlog developing of people who need training now, is there? Yeah, so basically we have dogs now in that are ready to go out that we can't put out and children waiting to come down that are waiting until we can find a solution to this current uh, problem. Now we're we're working on it hard at the moment to try and secure a property in and around the city city suburbs so that's, that's suitable to meet the needs of the kids. Now it doesn't need to be uh, very big or anything. It mm. just needs to... How, how many rooms would you need access to, Jenny, if say everyone was to have their own room? Well, yeah, well basically we only train one child at a time. Right. So generally speaking what happens is one child comes down with their parent and so they, that, they'd have their assistant dog come meet them in, in the house and stay with them for the week. So, um, so really you're talking about like a maybe one or two bedrooms and um, like a kitchen um, and an outdoor space for the dog and toilet. So quite basic is what we're looking for, just clean. You're effectively looking for for a a vacant apartment if one should exist. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, we're looking for something like that that we could take on for 12 months or two years because because that's how long COVID's going to last. And and do you have the funds to cover it or would the people involved pay pay them? So what, no, what we would look to try and get a reduced cost as best we can. And we're looking to, you know, if it comes to, we're looking to fund it. Um, but ideally, obviously, if we could get some donations, it'd be great. Um, so there might be some empty property or something like that in and around the city or yeah. city suburbs. Now, you're based out there. Uh, in Toker. N- yeah, near, near Rock Bingo. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, so there'd be a huge catchment area around you there. 
you know, if yeah. if anybody, and there would be lots of people would have lots of commercial apartments that they've been might might have been lying idle because they couldn't fill them during the pandemic and stuff like that. You're effectively looking for for an apartment that you can yeah. use for the next twelve months. Yeah, we're looking for something that we where we can. So it just has to be wheelchair accessible into the apartment. Usually they're children, so they don't really they would have manual wheelchairs versus power chairs and um so we're just looking for something that they can get in the front door with the, with the wheelchair um and just to keep them safe really yeah. keep them have safe you checked with the state agents in the area or any well we're just we're just groups? really looking at it now and um so but like ideally we'd, we'd love to find something you know cheaper if we could at all obviously yeah. because covid and everything and everyone's been financially hit due to covid so yeah that's really, you know, what we're looking for. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking just scanning the geography of the area in my head and, and I'm thinking of out into Wilton and back up into the Toker area, Glasheen, yeah. that general area, just even within sort of a square. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.